Live from the Merck Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also right now invite you to download our app at KBLA 1580. Download the app. And take us with you anywhere in the world and listen in real time, but only by downloading our app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of this program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast of this program and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. And if you've never checked out our live stream, turn it on right now by, again, clicking on uh, the KBLA TV icon on your phone or going to the YouTube channel because our guest in our one, Sheriff Robert Luna, is in studio right now. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour, Today in Memphis, Tennessee, at the Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church. Funeral services are being held for Tyree Nichols, murdered, of course, as you well know, by Memphis police days ago. We will speak with prominent civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who is representing the Nichols family just before he steps inside that church for the funeral. And will be joined in our two by our regular contributor, civil rights lawyer and towering public intellectual Connie Rice, who will offer her own personal reflections on this sick and sad saga and talk more broadly about extremism in police culture. Ben Crump and Connie Rice in our two. In our third hour, the motivator Les Brown commences his month-long KBLA Talk 1580 radio residency. Today, as you know, is the first day of Black History Month and all Black History Month long. The 11 a.m. hour of this program will be the domain of You've Got to Be Hungry with Les Brown. An encore presentation of Les's program will broadcast at 6 p.m. this evening. So if you miss him at 11 a.m. today, catch the program on your way home tonight and every weeknight for the month of February at 6 p.m. Les Brown's theme today is entitled It's Possible. It's Possible. You don't want to miss his first master class coming up uh, just two hours from now. In this first hour today, though, two conversations. On the B side of this hour, we'll be joined by director and actor Mario Van Peebles for a conversation and learn more about this weekend's Regeneration Summit, a celebration of black cinema. Mario Van Peebles on the back side of this hour. Well, we begin today's program in exclusive conversation with the 34th Sheriff of Los Angeles County, Sheriff Robert Luna. Sheriff Luna, good to have you at KBLA Talk 1580, sir. It is amazing to be here, and I'm listening to, listening to you talk and watching you, and I'm, I'm a fan, always have been a fan. That's so kind of, thank you for having me. Kind of you say good to have you on. I saw you bobbing your head, and I can see your feet uh, moving when you were listening to that Frankie Beverly in May. So <laughs> the sheriff's got a little swag, y'all. He was uh, he was moving in here uh, to the sounds of Frankie Beverly and Mays, and if, if Mays can't make you move, you got a problem anyway. <laughs> Check your pulse. So I'm glad to have the sheriff in studio with us live today. Let me start with this. Uh, it's been a few weeks now. What, six weeks, seven weeks, something like that? How's it going so far? I'm in about week eight. Yeah, week eight now, yeah. Uh, so far, uh, it's going well. Uh, I have felt uh, very welcomed uh, by the employees of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Uh, everywhere I turn, uh, people are ready to help. Um, and as I'm... 
listening and learning, uh, and as I say, uh, loving mm-hmm. the people around me. Uh, as I start talking about uh, changes, uh, I am also surprised the willingness to embrace change. Mm-hmm. Uh, people saying things like, it's about time, uh, we needed this, but it's early, and there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. But no, I'm sorry. When I saw you, um, I've seen you a number of times, of course, uh, most recently a couple of weeks ago at the Empowerment Congress, the 31st uh, Leadership Summit. We'll talk about that perhaps uh, before I lose you at the bottom of the hour. But when I last saw you on stage, you were at our sheriff's forum. Uh, you, uh, at the time, were running against uh, the then sheriff, um, Alex Villanueva, and you said at that time that you weren't altogether sure of what uh, needed most reform because you need to get on the inside to see. So now you're on the inside about eight weeks. Have you figured out yet what is most in need of reform inside the sheriff's department? First thing that comes to mind is public trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is definitely, unfortunately, a lack of public trust. Um, That is my number one priority, because when you talk about public trust, you're dealing with almost every issue across the board, whether it's if I'm talking to you about reducing crime, We can't do it without uh, being in partnership with our community, Mm -hmm. which takes public trust. Addressing the challenges with the unhoused. you got to have public trust, not only from the community, but other government agencies, non-governmental agencies. Those are the things that have to occur. As I uh, sit there and I look at policy, processes, procedures, uh, there are things, again, I'm listening to the way things are done. And I want to make sure that we are looking and thinking outside the box. Uh, Are we national leaders? Mm. When I talk about the concept of 21st century policing, uh, I talked about it a lot. I want to create a 21st century sheriff's department. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And we have to make sure uh, that we are leaders, that we are being looked to, whether it's community policing, whether it's custody operations, uh, the way we engage our community to reduce crime, the way we address the issue in working in collaboration to reduce homelessness. Uh, 21st century, that's the goal. That's the vision. Uh, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. There needs to be work at some time and then figure out how we're going to move forward. Um, let's let's talk about public trust. And you've just listed, uh, enumerated a number of things. I want to give uh, you a chance to uh, uh, unpack as we move through this hour. But let me interrogate this notion of public trust. Um, as you well know, uh, there was another shooting uh, last night, and uh, the sheriff's department was involved in that, a fatal shooting last night. Uh, let me start by saying a lot has been said of late about the killing of Angelinos. We are talking in hour two about the, the death and the burial of Tyree Nichols, as you heard me say at the top of this show. But much has been said, of course, about the killings of Angelinos at the hands of LAPD. Uh, Chief Michael Moore sat in that very chair, and we talked about this on Thursday of last week. If you didn't hear our conversation with LAPD Chief Michael Moore, who yesterday was given a second five-year term, uh, check out our podcast of the conversation with Chief Moore from last Thursday. He was in, though, uh, Sheriff Luna, that very chair. So we talked about this last week. Uh, Takar Smith, Oscar Sanchez, Kenan Anderson all died at the hands of LAPD, and that's most recently. Now, Anthony Lowe, a wheelchair-bound, wheelchair-bound black man, a double amputee, was horrifically killed by Huntington Park police. It seems that a national outcry is brewing here as you talk about 21st century policing. And to my mind, this is the stuff of which unrest is made. I'm not calling for anarchy. I'm just saying 
that uh, uh, the, the alarm has to be going off right about now. The bells have to be ringing because this is the stuff, to my mind, of which unrest is made. In 2023, today is February 1, as I also said a moment ago, first day of Black History Month, um, the Sheriff's Department uh, is already responsible for the deaths of five people in January alone. So again, this death in Compton last night. Before I jump into those five deaths writ large, what happened in Compton last night? What can you tell us? It's, it's breaking news even this morning. We had a deputy-involved uh, shooting in Compton mm -hmm. uh, in the afternoon, early afternoon, late morning. Uh, and the information I have at this point, which could change, is that uh, there was some uh, – there was a parole uh, operation going on where people – uh, that were on parole uh, were running from their parole agents, uh, meaning trying to uh, not following the rules. Mm -hmm. And uh, deputy sheriffs uh, were assisting uh, state parole. They were looking for an individual. Uh, they went to his home, couldn't find him. Uh, they were given information that he was in a nearby location. Uh, as they were searching for him, they run into him. And the information we have is that he produced a handgun. He actually fired uh, at the deputies, uh, struck. The information we have initially is that he struck the passenger side of the uh, patrol uh, deputy's vehicle. Uh, then there was a foot pursuit where he ran a couple of blocks, uh, ran into somebody's home that he didn't know, uh, ultimately barricaded himself in a garage where our uh, uh, deputies surrounded that location, and then a second deputy-involved shooting occurred. The information I have is that there was an exchange of gunfire between the suspect and the deputies. Uh, the suspect was wounded at that time and, and uh, taken uh, by ambulance uh, and then into custody. Let me ask you, how concerned are you by these deputy-involved shootings, five in January—that's a significant—that's a significant number of deaths. Um, how are you processing this? You're, you're only eight weeks in, but you—you know—you're eight weeks in, but y'all have killed five people already in one month. What do you make of that? Every deputy-involved shooting, just like every officer-involved shooting, is of great concern. Uh, every time I get a notification. Uh, that's the last notification that you want to receive, mm -hmm. that uh, one, that one of your employees was injured, uh, two, uh, that there was uh, uh, a use of force involving a shooting, because there's a lot of questions that come to mind. What did we do? Mm -hmm. uh, did we follow the policy? Anytime you, uh, a police executive is looking at any shooting involving the police, you look at three factors. You look at what I call pre-shooting conduct, mm -hmm. which is what happened uh, to uh, how did the deputy or police officer come in contact with that suspect? Was it even a legal stop? Those are questions you have to ask. Right. You know, traffic stop, subject stop, or was it a calls for service? You look at that and that has to, you have to make sure that follows the law, mm -hmm. your policies and procedures. And then the second phase is you look at the shooting itself. Was that shooting within policy? Uh, was it within the law? That's something the district attorney looks at for hit shootings. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the post-shooting activity, which uh, it, it, it's uh, most people don't understand that uh, when you do have those rare instances where you do shoot somebody, uh, by policy, we have to instantly render first aid. We have to get 
the person that we shot, uh, we have to provide the best medical care we can while we're summonsing paramedics and do that. I tell you that so the listeners can hear that there is a process, but every shooting that occurs gets reviewed, and we have to be asking ourselves, how did this happen? But more importantly, could this have been prevented? Is this a shooting that occurred because somebody's life was in danger or somebody else's life was in danger? Or is it something that happened because we failed to train somebody properly? They didn't de-escalate. They didn't use the proper tools. What take, options did they have? I take your point. I take your point. Um, I'm watching my time because I only have you to the bottom of the yard. I want to move through a few other things right quick, but I could not proceed without asking about that shooting last night. Uh, again, five uh, uh, deaths uh, at the hands of uh, the Sheriff's Department in the month of January. Let me come back to Anthony Lowe, this wheelchair-bound black man, a double amputee. Um, as, it, as, 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 as it works out, um, the Sheriff's Department is uh, taking over the investigation for this particular horrific killing in Huntington Park by their police department. The Sheriff is overseeing that investigation, correct? Yes. You were talking earlier about public trust, and my, my question is simply this. Do you think it builds public confidence in the Sheriff's Department to be investigating other departments when it has five shootings of its own in one month? Does that build public confidence, public trust? I believe it does. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I say that, I'm not sitting here comfortably saying that uh, it just comes automatically. Uh, When we come to work, uh, when we do our business, everything we do has to be looked at that it's going to be uh, viewed a different way by whether it's an independent agency or at the end of the day, uh, our community. There are many cities within L.A. County uh, that are smaller departments, such as the Huntington Park Police Department, that don't have the resources uh, to investigate uh, their own shootings. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, think, uh, I think you know this, and, and if your listeners don't, um, when we have an incident of a, a deputy-involved shooting and it involves an unarmed suspect, for example, uh, the attorney general's office steps in Mm -hmm. and does the primary investigation, not only for the sheriff's department, but uh, every department in the state of California now, uh, after the law changed, they will step in and do all investigations involved uh, uh, shootings Mm -hmm. that involved unarmed civilians. Um, Let me, uh, again, just watching my time here, Um, let me pivot from that. Uh, You talked about custody operations. Uh, One of the things that's gotten every one of your predecessors of late into trouble is the men's central jail. Um, That that particular facility has been uh, uh, ruled by the federal government uh, uh, as a place that is um, engaging in all kinds of violations, certainly of civil rights, and to my mind, even human rights. Uh, what are you going to do differently uh, with regard to custody operations and specifically the men's central jail? Because, again, we, get, we, have a, we have a facility here that's violating people's civil and human rights. What are you going to do differently than Villanueva or those prior to him? The way I view, as I have taken my own personal tours uh, through the different custody facilities that include men's central jail, mm-hmm. um, I'm appalled by the conditions in there. Um, as a human being, Mm -hmm. let alone a sheriff. We have to change those conditions. There's no ifs and buts about it. Mm -hmm. 
the way I look at it is um, when somebody asked me, "Had you take a tour, have you taken a tour of the L.A. County Jail? The first time I went into the L.A. County Jail was to visit a relative. So I, I look at it not only from my responsibility as a sheriff, but what if you have a family member in there? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are not conditions that we should have. So for me, uh, I have to work as harder, harder than anyone else has to figure out a way to get upgraded facilities. I envision a facility because you can't just make jails go away. I wish we lived in a society where you can do that, but that's not reality. But my vision is that if somebody's going to be in a custody facility, they should be upgraded facilities that have top of the line health care, mental health care, rehabilitation services, education services. How I, I feel like a, an obligation that if somebody is with us, that if they're there six months, if they're there a year, what can we do to change them so that when they go back out into our community, they are productive community members. How, how are you getting along with the Board of Supervisors? And I ask that because we all know Villanueva uh, didn't like them and they didn't like him. Uh, so how are you getting along with the supervisors? And that's critical because if you're going to get the resources that you need, do what you say needs to be done. And I am heartened, as I'm sure this audience is, to hear the sheriff actually say that the conditions are deplorable, that they have to be changed. So how do you do that? Uh, through partnerships and collaboration and thinking out of the box by bringing, not being afraid to be challenged about the way things have been and the way things are. Mm -hmm. Yes, the relationship with the Board of Supervisors is critical. Uh, I have spoken and have relationships with all five that I'm very proud of. And yes, it's early on, but I believe with my experience in governing that it's okay if we disagree, but we don't call each other names. And we remember that we were all voted into office to serve the community. Speaking and at the end of the day, that's the vision. That's the goal. Speaking of being voted into office, when I saw you again on stage at our KBLA Talk 1580 Sheriff's Forum, I asked you this question specifically. Uh, and um, your answer was that you supported it. Uh, there is a new accountability tool, as you know, that was passed in November uh, after we saw you on stage for our sheriff's forum, passed overwhelmingly by voters in November Measure A, which gives the county board of supervisors the power to remove you now during your term. So you supported that measure when you were running, but now you're sheriff and you can be yanked out of office any given day by this board of supervisors. Do you still support Measure A? Yes, it was passed by our community by 80%. Mm-hmm. I don't ever find myself in a position where I would be fighting, going toe-to-toe, doing anything unethical, anything criminal. I'm here to serve the people. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to do. And I don't believe that I would ever do anything to cause my removal. But if I do, then I need to go. We also discussed this during our Sheriff's Forum last year, uh, prior to your election in November, the issue of uh, gangs inside of the sheriff's department. Alex Villanueva, I remember vividly denied vehemently that there were gangs inside the sheriff's department. But the evidence to that just seems the evidence seems contrary to that. To my mind, the evidence I'm reading, uh, frankly, seems incontrovertible and unassailable that there are, in fact, gangs inside the sheriff's department, like the Compton Executioners, the East L.A. Banditos, the Linwood Vikings, the Jump Out Boys and more. It is, frankly, a national disgrace. Are you going to tell me now, now that you're the sheriff, as Villanueva told me when he was sheriff last year, that there are no gangs inside LAPD, LA uh, Sheriff's Department? Uh, I will not tell you that. And I've made it very clear through my campaign, and now as I'm your sheriff, 
uh, that gangs unfortunately do exist. Mm -hmm. That is one of the top priorities of my administration. Uh, I will be announcing here in the short term uh, uh, a new office that we're creating that is not only going to focus on the issue of deputy gangs, but going to be dealing with the issue of the three consent decrees that we currently have. Our goal is to be in compliance with the consent decrees and eventually get rid of them when we are complying. Uh, this office will look at those issues. They'll look at best practices. Uh, one of the programs that we're going to be looking at that I looked at in Long Beach and was about to sign an MOU was the ABLE program out of Georgetown University. Mm -hmm. It's active bystandership on law enforcement to teach uh, our officers that if they see misconduct, that they are to immediately intervene. Uh, I believe if that would have happened in that absolutely horrific incident that we started to, to mention at the beginning of your broadcast with uh, Tyree Nichols, mm -hmm. that should have been stopped immediately. Should never have happened. But once it does, a uh, police officer deputy's job is to get in there and stop somebody when you're acting mm -hmm. that unlawful. You mentioned uh, the attorney general earlier in this conversation, Rob Bonta. Let me ask you specifically about George Gascon. When I last saw you again at the Empowerment Congress event a couple of weeks ago, the Leadership Summit, I had, had a chance to introduce you. Uh, I was the MC that day. I introduced everybody that day. I introduced you and Gascon, the mayor, and everyone else. Um, so you and Gascon kind of spoke back to back that day, as you'll recall. What is your relationship like with the DA? And I'm asking that because sometimes cops and DAs are a little too cozy for me and for those in this audience. But what's your relationship like with George Gascon? I have a working relationship uh, with George Gascon. Uh, the sheriff and the DA should always have a working relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, I can pick up the phone. Uh, he can pick up the phone and call me, and we can work things out. We're not going to agree on everything, nor should we, for the benefit of our community, but we have a working relationship. You will not see any name calling in between us. I asked you earlier uh, about whether or not you think it builds public confidence, to use your phrase, public trust, when the Sheriff's Department is investigating another department about a shooting when it has had five shootings of its own in the month of January. I guess the question is, who investigates the Sheriff's Department? The, well, if you have a, a hit shooting, mm -hmm. the district attorney uh, looks at the shootings. The coroner's office is involved in, in those investigations. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. As I sit here in front of you and we talk about these five deputy shootings, I was voted in to create change. I will not be the defender of the status quo. Uh, as we move forward, I will look at everything that we do. And just because somebody tells me this is the way we've done it, mm -hmm. that isn't good enough for me. So if it works and somebody proves to me it works, then maybe we move forward. And that includes community input mm -hmm. um, because I do absolutely plan on getting the community involved, which even includes in our use of force policy. Let me ask you about that. I'm looking at my clock. I've got three minutes left. I promise to get you out of here on time. Um, speaking of community involvement, uh, what is the status of the constitutional uh, police advisors inside the sheriff's office? These uh, uh, police advisors were there during the villain waiver era. He got rid of them. And I'm wondering whether or not you're committed to bringing them back since you want public involvement. Uh, I am absolute. You're right. They were removed. Um, and I plan on uh, I'm going to be making some announcements here soon that I'm really mm -hmm. excited about. And mm -hmm. I think it will uplift the community and know that we are working with people like the the individuals you named. But I also want to just say this before we end. Mm -hmm. My first day in office, uh, I allowed the inspector general back into the building. Mm -hmm. He was not allowed in our building. 
He gave me a list of, of things that he needed to do by law, mm-hmm. and we are working with him to make sure those things get done. We're working hand-in-hand hand with the Civilian Oversight Commission. Uh, we're doing all these things to start building back that public trust so people know that, back to your question, who, who looks at us and who investigates us, the Inspector General, the Civilian Oversight Committee, I'm giving them an open door mm. to almost everything we have that they are legally required to have. I'm going to work with people because, again, that priority is rebuilding that public trust. Two quick questions, and I'll let you go. We'll get news, traffic, and sports. And on the other side, commence a conversation with Mario Van Peebles. Um, have you figured out as yet, and what can you say to the voters about the issue that you are already certain of that's going to harangue you the most, the, the issue that's going to be most difficult, no matter what you said on the campaign trail, uh, to get under control? I would say I go right back to that public trust issue Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the issue regarding men's central jail. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are things that have been very difficult. uh, But you know what? I knew when I campaigned for this job (laughs) and I was voted in. That's why the voters wanted me there. They wanted somebody who wasn't afraid to challenge the system and try and make things better and work with people to get there. And finally, because you're the two biggest law enforcement officers in Southern California, certainly in the L.A. County area, uh, any thoughts on Michael Moore uh, being reappointed to a second five-year term? I have a lot of respect for Michael Moore. When I was the Western Region Rep for Major City Chiefs, he was one of my go-to people. The man is uh, a servant. He cares, and he thinks outside the box. He's not afraid to challenge his organization. Uh, to do things differently and better, and I look forward to working with him as a partner. Sheriff Robert Luna, you kept your word uh, and accepted my invitation to come live in studio. I want to keep my word and get you out here on time. I know you got a full schedule in front of you. Thank you for being here. Congratulations on your election. We're going to uh, support you in the next four years where we can, but we'll always hold you accountable, and I think you're okay with that. Accountability, number one. That's how you get public trust. So thank you, and keep on challenging me, please. Sir, good to have you here. After news, traffic, and sports, a conversation with Mario Van Peebles at the top of our second hour. Ben Crump, the attorney for the Nichols family, will join us on the phone, and Connie Rice will join us live in studio in our third hour. Les Brown, going to be a great show today. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580.